Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and DMV regulations. Everyone's favorite thing. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 379. And in podcast news, it seems that switching our podcast hosting has gone seamlessly. In other words, nobody noticed, which is how it we wanted it to be. Exactly. No one noticed. And we're actually trying something new this week. <laughs> we are using uh, a new piece of voice over IP software um, for our normal audio listeners. Probably won't mean anything, but we're giving it a shot. See what happens. Um, Hopefully it's also seamless, right? Like nobody notices and that's the goal. Well, the, the person that could affect the worst is either. It, well, not either. Um, it's pretty much going to be Josh, our editor. Because if the files are not in sync, then he will be pulling his hair out and giving me like mean texts. So well, well, here's to that also being seamless for him. Yes, I'm hoping like we give the files and he doesn't even know until he starts listening to it. <laughs> um. So on this podcast, we're going to talk about the box truck updates. We're going to talk about your CNC, which we didn't get to last week. And then possibly get to my new, in quotes, to me, digital camera. Oh, I was I, I was worried you were going to say another car. No, not yet. You, yeah. Have you been searching for, for others? Dude, I always find myself like looking on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace. And <laughs> I, then I'm I like, Parker, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. There's always a low level burn of you. Just look in, in, in the like, background, right? You've got the same itch, though, sometimes. Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm, I'm not judging you. I'm in the exact same boat. It's just I know you well enough. That yeah. <laughs> I was the just worried that you were like, another project, and it's a full car. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, it's one of those, I always catch myself doing it, and I'm like, Parker, you know, you're, you're stupid. Don't, don't look. I, I have to admit, this has been, this um, last year and this year has been the first year that I've really put a lot of effort into paring down. At the beginning of 22, uh, in fact, we talked about it on some podcasts, I actually started peeling projects away, like finishing stuff, getting them done. And in the last handful of months, I've been removing stuff from my basement and not adding it in fact it's getting thinner so anti-hoarding whatever you call that uh and and it's been it's it's been interesting because i have a i have a open corner of my basement now that i've been looking at and like i cannot fill that it's just empty space and that's a good thing like it has to be empty this is okay I mean, I did finish the red Jeep, so the red Jeep is done. No, 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 no. That can't be true, is it? Yeah, it's it's been done for quite a while now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm 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 surprised just because the red Jeep was never in a done state. Yeah. When yeah, when you were at Macrofab, my favorite thing about that, uh, the early days of Macrofab, so we're talking like 2013 to like 20. 16, 17 ish, right up till the time you left, I guess, um, was 
I would go home, take the Jeep apart on Friday after work, work on it all like Saturday and Sunday, and then Monday morning, wake up early, put it back together just enough so I can use it because it was the only car I had at the time, by the way, to commute to Macrofab and work. Yep. <laughs> and then you would live in this like husk shell of a Jeep for till Friday, take it all back apart as much as you could work on it. it as much as you were willing to take apart. Yeah. As much as you're willing to take apart. Cause you basically had to look at it as okay. Monday morning. I need to put like a seat back in the steering wheel back on the dash, mostly back together. So like the instrument cluster would work. <laughs> I would say it was basically when I finally got my, the Wagoneer, the Jeep Wagoneer, when I was like, okay, now I have two cars. They're both projects, but at least one can work and stay working. You can cycle. I ha- and yes, and then I could take the Red Jeep, and Red Jeep came all apart again for its like sixth time I've taken it all the way apart. Rebuilt it into kind of like what I wanted the Jeep to actually be in the end. And I'm like, I'm happy, really happy. Like I drive it to work. It goes 75 miles an hour down the freeway. It doesn't, it's not terribly scary going that fast. Um, I just do oil changes and monitor the fluids and check the tire pressure, rotate tires. It's like, that's all I have to do on it. Okay. That's, yeah. This is monumental here. This is the first time I think I've heard you say that the red Jeep is, is done. Yeah. I mean, there's not, I can't even think of anything else I'd want to do with it. Like, I really enjoy driving it. Nice. I mean, I think I've been driving it for like a year now. Uh, I think I've never actually said to you it's done. So No, no, like I'm saying, seriously, live here, this is the first I've oh. heard it's done. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I was under the impression that it would never be done. Oh, and, yeah. And, it's, in, in, a, in a positive way, you know? Yeah. No, 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 it's... Like, really, like, the only next step you could do with it is, like, you'd have to tear apart the entire suspension and put a different kind of suspension on it. Like, different geometry, really. It's, like, the only way to make it better. And I'm, like, I'm not going to do that. Like, the improvements I would gain from that isn't going to be worth, one, the time and worth the money. You soaked everything you can out of it. Yeah, I, I really like how it's set up now. It's, like... It's got a decent lift. It's got it runs thirty five inch tires. It I've never come across anything off road that it can't either go over or you know surmount. Basically, this probably I don't go over the craziest stuff with it, so that's probably why. Because like there's some crazy jeeps out there that could probably do way more than mine can do, but they also break things, and I don't like going camping and breaking things. Right. So, so, so uh, tangent to automotive here. I heard something funny earlier today. A buddy of mine sent me a, a video. Have you heard of the unit of measurement of an Ugga Dugga? Yes, for sure. So <laughs> that's it. So for those that don't know, that's the sound a, a, uh, an impact driver, impact makes. gun makes, especially a pneumatic one. So like if you're at a tire shop and you hear the, yeah that's that's that's, a, that's ugga an ugga yeah so yeah. so so it was it was explained to me that one ugga is about four to six foot pounds of torque wait so 
I would say way more than that, but okay. <laughs> well, if you give it one ugga-dugga, so like a normal, yeah, in, in automotive world, you give it about six or seven ugga-duggas and, and it's home, right? Or stripped right out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Okay, so um, you sent me a link about this. What about Ugadug? Well, there's Ugadug.com actually. Okay, yeah. I, let me go to this website. <laughs> well, it's it's nothing. It's nothing special. Well, I think they actually have a a definition of what an Ugadug is on the on the main page. Yeah, they say an Ugadug is a unit of measurement consisting of time and torque, often found in automotive workshops. I like how the unit of measurement is found in an automotive workshop. But an Ugadug can be counted indefinitely, but it's commonly understood that seven Ugaduggas is the maximum torque, while three Ugaduggas is sufficient to hold most projects. And what's funny about that is like, there's a there's a hair of truth to that statement, right? A little bit. Yeah. I would say anything over five sixteenths fastener, you could probably be okay with that. <laughs> I guess it also depends on how big your Ugga Dugga tool, your air impact actually is too, because yeah. I've got two. One is one Ugga Dugga is like fifty foot pounds. <laughs> <laughs> And the other one, I actually don't know because I don't use it a lot. It's like a smaller, like compact one. But I don't, I end up not. Usually when I get the torque, the impact torque off, uh, wrench out, usually it's to remove fasteners. So you don't, I don't really care how strong it is. It's either like I want it to come apart. So it's going to come apart. That's actually the great thing about that tool is like, it's either going to take the bolt off or shear it. And both are okay. (laughs) Yeah, both, both work. (laughs) I, I I heard a phrase earlier today. Well, well, you've probably heard the phrase. Um, there's nothing tighter than stripped, uh, which I think is funny. But but an alternate to that is there's um, no no. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, an, an alternate is um, Loctite is great, but cross thread is better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you only get the cross thread at once. One time. That's it. You get yeah, you get one, one time. time, but that's about as tight as you get. <laughs> You cr- cross thread and then shear the head off, and and you're good to go forever. Yeah. <laughs> do it on your caliper bolts. Yeah, do it. Up, make sure it's on. It's in a critical location on okay. your engine block. Uh, for tightening bolts, I rarely use an impact gun. Usually, I'll snug it up with my electric ratchet, uh, which is, uh, and then just like torque wrench it. Oh come but, on! You're not you're not you're not reefing ugga dugga on your um, on your oil. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, actually, that I hand tighten and then use a torque wrench too. Yeah. Um. But okay, I got in trouble though. I was working Ooh. on the box truck, and so the uh, so we're gonna jump into our first topic, which is the box truck uh, updates. Um. So last week I was talking about working on the transmission fan and that kind of stuff. So I was installing the um cooler lines and i basically replaced the factory it's like a it's where like the cooler lines come out of the transmission it has like a thermostat and all that stuff in it but the factory one just comes out with hard lines and the hard lines like wrap around the transmission and go to wherever they go and i needed to replace that with one i could attach soft flexible lines to because i'm running that external cooler and so I got a new one from like improved racing or something like that. Basically, I got one that also has like an adjustable thermostat so you can tune what 
temperature it opens up at and all that good stuff so you can run the, the transmission cooler, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it, it attaches with one bolt. And I think it's like an M M8 bolt. M8 by 1.25 millimeter, something like that. Um, yeah, that's pretty normal. Um, and uh, I was like, okay. And so it says in the in the uh, sheet, it says tighten that bolt. So when you reinstall, it, tighten that bolt to 25 foot pounds. And I'm like, that doesn't. That sounds about. No, that's like hand tight is what 25 foot pounds is like. Okay. Um, and so I went to install it and I never got to 25 foot pounds. Uh Oh yeah. It just, uh, did not, did not click the torque wrench. Um, and I, it pulled the threads out of my aluminum block on my, uh, transmit the bell housing on my transmission. Oh no. And so, yeah. Cause I was, I was like, about to say 20, 25 is actually pretty high for aluminum for yes. steel. It's not. Yes, because that's the thing, though, is I was like, 25 sounds about right. So I didn't question yeah. it. Yeah. And so I pulled out the bolt, and it came out with the threads oh, no. of the bow housing. And so I was like, I was like cursing like a mother. Like, I'm not going to. Yeah. yeah, I was. I was Choice four letter words all over the place. Yeah, especially since I'm like, this is this bell housing has. And like, I'm like, okay. You can put a helicoil in it, just get like an M8 helicoil. Problem is, I'd have to remove all the exhaust to be able to put mm -hmm. a helicoil in this thing. The great thing is it's on the bottom side of the transmission, so it's like right there. But they'll get a drill bit straight so you could re-thread it. Is there, you would have to remove, the, there's a big catalytic converter like four inches away from it. So you'd have to remove that, which would basically involve removing all the all of it so I'm like okay that's, it's a, it that, would be an ordeal yeah it would not be fun and so i'm like okay that's not the worst thing in the world it's not like i had to pull the transmission out right it's not not that bad um so i was looking at it and i looked at the bolt and the bolt was shorter than the stock bolt it went only went in like i want to say like 15 millimeters into the block where the stock one goes like 25, 30 millimeters in. Okay. And so I was like, huh, I wonder if, you know, if there's more threads in there. So I took the stock bolt, threaded it in, and sure enough, there is more threads in there. Ah, uh, so you but didn't I'm like the whole barrel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can pull all the threads out. <laughs> no, so I looked up the torque and the company put the wrong torque rating in it's supposed to be 16 foot pounds mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is like what was that uh 196 inch pounds let me let me do some multiplication yeah because a, a steel bolt 192 inch pounds yeah, a steel bolt threading into an aluminum housing uh, we we did this. We did some calculations on this just I don't know four months ago or something uh, when talking about my CNC uh, because mm -hmm. I have that exact same situation and the 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 so not the solution but the, the the results were surprising at how low of torque low. you actually yeah. need to get your full holding power and a steel bolt will will win in that yeah. oh yeah fight. all the time like will yeah. win <laughs> and so fortunately there was plenty of thread left. 
And so I didn't use the stock bolt because it had the wrong head type. It was the new uh, adapter you had a countersink um, hex head. So I, uh, not hex head, countersunk um, Flat head? socket head. So oh, like it used oh, an I Allen. Yeah, yeah. Like a, yeah, yeah, a kind of yeah. board. And so I went to Ace right down the road and uh, picked up a bolt that was longer. That was basically, it went the same depth as the stock bolt with, with a socket head on top of it. Installed it, got my small, much smaller torque wrench <laughs> that, goes, that does inch pounds, and it actually maxes out at two hundred inch pounds. So I was like right under that. So it's one ninety two. Yeah. Set to one ninety two, and it clicked perfect. I'm like, good. I I, I avoided a like a catastrophic event. Um, I do need to email that company and be like, dude, like how many people have you like screwed because of this documentation issue? Yeah, yeah, so. you got really lucky on that one. Dude, dude, yeah. Like, what if they gave me a full-size bolt and I just pulled all those threads out? I almost wonder, though, if if you did have a full-size bolt, because it would have some more thread material that it was gripping, would it have stripped all the way out? So what I've read is actually only a few threads actually really do most of the engagements. Yeah. Okay. Because isn't it isn't it something like five? I think five threads of engagement is the rule of thumb for full strength, basically. Yes, but it's only like actually like two or three are like eighty percent of it or something like that. Yeah, because the the tolerance of thread cutting, if I remember right, at any one point in time, you don't have all the threads aren't actually physically touching. Touching. You have yeah. like touch points in mm -hmm. in throughout the whole barrel. So so yeah, like. I could I could see that. I mean, regardless, like I said earlier, steel a steel bolt will win, and yes. and twenty five seems really high for aluminum. Yes. <sighs> you but just got lucky now. because it was short. Like that's I got the lucky; whole it was reason. really short. Yeah, <laughs> it only pulled out a quarter of the threads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's still you said what fifteen ish millimeters? That's like half an inch worth of threads came out yeah. on a. On a 1.25, but there was like pitch. it had like 35 millimeters of depth. Yeah, so it had quite a bit. Like I'm actually surprised, like GM put that much thread in there, but they did, thankfully. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so if if you had munged up the whole barrel, would helicoil be your your? That'd be the only option. option. Yeah, yeah. That and sucks. you'd have to remove the basically what's called the white pipe. That the catalytic converters, the catalytic converters back is what you'd have to remove, mm. which wouldn't be the end of the world, especially since it's pretty brand new and they actually use like stainless bolts on those now. So like everything just kind of comes apart. Mm. But man, that'd be it'd be two days of work and on your back work because I can't put it up in the air because it's a, you know, it's a what, eight thousand pound truck. <laughs> so yeah, that's um. That's one of those ones where a simple mistake can can balloon into an enormous amount of work. Yes, easily. Like, think about if it was, like, in a spot that was, let's say it was on the side of the transmission between the bell housing and, like, the frame. Well, at that point, you're pulling the transmission out. Mm-hmm. Which the first thing step of that, too, is remove the exhaust. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's that that's even worse. That's way worse. Yeah, it's way worse. Um, so yeah, I, I did that. That was fortunately I didn't have to get a Healy coil kit or anything, and 
avoided disaster. Everything seems to be good on that. I, I suppose if there was enough meat, you could go a size up and uh, tap bigger. Oh, like right? an M8? Well, an M10 from that point, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Or like whatever the Imperial size slightly larger is, too. <laughs> right. You could do that. Yeah, that's See, also a, iffy. Yeah. No, you couldn't do that. You still have to remove the exhaust. Because you can't get Jewel Brit straight at it. Well, okay, but if you had the option of helicoil or tapping a, a, a munged up hole, which which one would you go with? Heli oh, well, for that kind of hole, I would actually use um, what's called a time cert. Which is like a slightly different helicoil. Okay. Yeah. Instead of think forming about, new threads, about, you would you would put up. Well, you put new threads in it, and the, yeah. and the, it's an insert that threads in. Well, helicoil right. is kind of like a spring. Yeah. This is like an in, actual insert that you screw in, so you still have to drill and tap. Oh, but 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 its internal thread is the original intended thread. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, time well, certs like, and helicoils both have their like there's. If you go online, there's like in on the car forums, there's like camps of which one's better. They're both have their places, in my opinion. Like, so it just depends on what application is for this application. Time certain works better than a heat coil. So, well, the, and the best situation is neither. Yes, the best situation is neither. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Whew, okay. I'm just getting, I'm actually getting worked up thinking about how worked up I was about that situation on, on Saturday. Yeah, that, that'll ruin a whole weekend. Yeah, I thought it did. Um, but after that, uh, my brake lights actually arrived. So I got those installed. I just had to pop those in and hook up the wire and I did all the wiring correct and they just lit up. Perfect. So all the wiring's done on the, where the lights at least are done, is done on the truck. Um, and then I put in a, uh, I'll, I'll put post pictures of the lights cause they are really cool looking. Um, they're not just your standard like truck lights. Um, and then I built a spare tire holder and installed it. I was able to, this is what we talked about a lot last week about like different ways of accessing the, the hoist mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. So what'd you and end up coming up with? I ended up going with um, the side-mounted hoist. So you access it from the side. And what I figured out is basically like playing around the, with the positioning is actually just like a 3-8 long extension for like a ratchet would just hit it perfectly and still give you enough length on the outside of the frame. So you don't even need a hole or anything. You just have to just stick a ratchet up underneath and just put it in, and you're good. <clears throat> Can you do that in the dark? I mean, you have to have a light, but yes. Okay, yeah. I'm yeah. just saying, like, if you're on the side of the road and you need to yes. get to I it. made sure, like, you could do that. But, yeah, um, so I'll post pictures of that. And I was able to reuse, like, a hoist I had. Um, I reused some bolts that I had, uh, some U-bolts from um, a trailer project a long time ago that I had left, like, just lying around. It was great. That project cost me, well, it cost me money back in the day, but I've, 
I've written that stuff off my brain, right? So <laughs> that that it, it, that it was U-Bolt never... and C channel, right? Is what you end up using? Yeah, some Unistrut that I had lying yeah. around. <laughs> and honestly, like you look at it and it looks a little cobbled together, but it works great. It looks fine. Yeah. yeah. It kind of looks like one of those products you would find from somebody where they had an idea and they didn't fully like they wanted a product and they're like how do i just assemble this in my garage and sell it it looks like one of those kind of products you mean exactly what i just did though yes exactly (laughs) that's that's what it looks like yeah i mean it was mostly i just didn't want to buy anything else i was like how can i make this project work without buying anything else Oh, it has it has the look of how do I do this without buying something? Yes, because I already had the hoist. I already I'm like, oh, I have a ton of Unistrut, which is certainly strong enough to hold the hoist up. I have a whole bunch of bolts, and I'm like, oh, I have some U bolts that fit around the Unistrut. Perfect. Yep, good to go. I think I was just going to cover the whole thing in black paint, and then then you won't even tell that it looks cobbled together. No, that's the difference between it looking like it made in a garage or looking like it's made somewhere else. It's just black paint. Black paint, yeah. <laughs> Semi-gloss rustoleum. Actually, okay. If you if you yeah, if you like thirty percent gloss powder coat it, then it would look like a product. I'll take that. <laughs> um, and then I started working on the uh, three hundred sixty degree camera system. Um. I basically did enough to like make sure it worked because I had to buy it from like some seller on AliExpress. Um, it was it was really weird. It took me a long like I you can find people that sell three sixty degree camera systems here in the states. Most of them are over in Europe though, and and why I say three sixty camera, I'm like like how fancy cars nowadays have like cameras all over them. And so it looks like a, so when you like back up, it'll look in your rear view mirror. It shows like a model of your car and like everything around it. Or like, a, it looks like there's a, uh, a drone, a drone down. above you or like flying behind you or something like that. Yeah. That's just really fancy camera trickery is what it is. Um, and you can buy these systems for buses and, big trucks and RVs to retrofit on, you know, RVs, et cetera, et cetera. But it took me a long time to find like a good system. Like there's a couple here in the States and one, they charge an arm and a leg and like you look at the camera quality and it's just not great. Um, and I found a place over in the UK that sold them. But funny enough, I was like looking at them and I'm like, I've seen these before. Like I've seen these cameras before. And sure enough, they're just using like Chinese, cheap Chinese cameras. Right. Um, And so I'm like, then I'm not, I'm paying a markup to someone to buy cheap Chinese cameras. So I'm like, I don't want to do that. So I started actually looking at AliExpress um, and Alibaba and I actually found one of the OEMs. And the OEM is called like Stunk Cam or something like that. <laughs> uh, it's like S T R O N K A M, or maybe there's not an R in it. I don't think there's an R in it. Yeah, Stunk Cam or something like that. Anyways, they're one of the OEMs. I think it's kind of hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> um, 
but uh, it took like three weeks of talking to them. It's like, you know, sending one email a day and trying to get like across like what you want to get and that kind of stuff. And they finally put together a camera system because I also wanted like ultrasonic backup sensors and stuff like that. And, um, and also I wanted like auxiliary cameras so like I can like press a button and I can like look at my trailer, that kind of stuff. Like basically like how modern like trucks have these crazy towing camera systems. I'm like, I want that, but in my box truck. <laughs> so trying to build that out. And uh, that showed up a couple months ago, that camera system. And I haven't had it installed or tested it. So that was the first thing it was like, does this system that I bought actually work? And yeah, it actually works great. Um, I'm actually really like I got the bigger cameras. So they have like a bigger image sensor and they have more infrared lights. So they are better at the dark. Um, and they are, they blow out any backup camera I've ever used before. Like it, like the camera quality is so clear at night. I'm, I'm shocked. Hmm. Like you almost don't even need like backup lights with how good that camera is in the back. Um, I haven't fully installed it yet. Um, I'm still waiting to install like the front camera, which touch on that in a little bit. And then I have two more cameras in the back that I want to look at like the trailer blind spot basically. So I'm going to have them like pointed at like an angle backwards. So it, when you're towing, you can like, it actually has like modes where like if it detects, like if you, you wire your turn signals to it, it will like switch the view to be like, oh, you're turning, you turn on your right blinker. So I'm going to look at the right cameras only stuff like that. So you can have it programmed to like turn on certain cameras and stuff, depending on what signals you're triggering to it. It's kind of cool stuff. Um, I'm on, honestly really surprised that no one really offers this in the States because you would think something like this would be great for how big the RV market here is, but couldn't find anything. If someone knows like where, if someone actually carries this product, stateside let me know i'd be very interesting to see what the market would be like because <laughs> uh, i did have to pay like duties and taxes and stuff on it too it ended up not being too bad i think it ended up being like a thousand two hundred bucks for like the whole thing and that includes like ultrasonic sensors and everything hmm. so it's like six cameras dvr that's, system all that that's stuff. probably a lot cheaper than if you were to buy it here in the states well that's the thing is i'd I want to just know what it is. I just couldn't find anyone that was selling something like this. Like you could find some 360 cameras, but they were using like really crappy cameras. And so I'm like, well, that's not what I want. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but the front camera, so I can't install that yet because you, it's like, it needs to go on like the top arrow shield and you can't get on top of the roof of the box truck. Cause it's that it's a thin, like eighth inch piece of plastic that's the roof of this thing so you can't stand on it so you can't actually even get to that spot of the roof to install the camera so i've got to build something you got to build some scaffolding <laughs> don't you have well i this might not work you you have a lift but it's in your garage it's in my you garage can't get the box truck in yeah and that lift only goes like five feet up too so it's not you couldn't get up there either okay um 
And I did look into like renting scaffolding. So I'm like, oh, scaffolding, like every job site's got it. So it's, and a lot of people rent it out. So I'm like, how much does it cost for like a homeowner to rent scaffolding? $500 for one set of scaffolding per week. Wow. And I need two sets because I'd have to build two towers and then like a, a bridge across to yeah. like get on top of it. And uh, apparently it's a big problem in the RV world. And so people just build them out of wood. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. You build like a 12 foot tall, 12 foot wide, four feet deep, I guess, scaffolding. And just like slap a ladder on the side and call it good. Yeah, good enough, right? That'll be... Yeah. You'll still spend, unless you have wood line around, you'll still spend 100 to 200 bucks building that scaffolding. Yeah, it's. I think I calculated it's going to be about 180 bucks. Yeah. But that's still cheaper than $1,000 for all the scaffolding that I wouldn't own. The great thing is I'm going to build it so I can take it apart. So if I ever need it again, I just can, you know, kind of bolt it, the, the pieces back together and then have it yeah. just in case. Or I'll end up like, cause I built one of these, a similar thing. Um, when I was working on my Jeep to lift the roll cage and out, cause remember we welded that roll cage up. Oh yeah. That was so yeah. long ago. Yeah. But to get the roll cage in and out, I built a what my neighbor called the guillotine <laughs> and it was an A-frame hoist basically that you could drive the Jeep under and you could lift the you could lift the uh, roll cage out of the Jeep just enough to get it out of it. <laughs> so you'd lift it up and it, I just had like half an inch of clearance and then you would just push the Jeep out of the way. Nice. Because um, that roll cage by your like you couldn't lift that thing out of the out of the uh, Jeep by yourself. Even oh, with two heavy. people, even with two people, it was pushing like your weight limit to lift that thing up. Yeah. So the hoist made it wait really easy. <laughs> but the bad thing is with the hoist, the hoist would have been a great starting point for this project. But I have disassembled it and have used the wood in other projects <laughs> down down the road. So it, it's gone. I think it turned into like a flower bed in Galveston at one point as part of it. <laughs> something like that i'm trying so, to come uh, come up with some other solution that's easier and they're just it's almost like anything else is just dangerous yeah it's like oh you can get two a-frame ladders and then, and then put, put boards in between them right yeah and it's like that's uh, that's way more dangerous than building that's super this sketchy thing. yeah yeah because yeah. like this thing is going to be stable when you build it and stuff so it's like there's nothing wrong with it. It's just you're going to build this thing for one purpose. Yeah, and it, and it sucks, too, because you, you're going to have to spend half a day building this or a, a full day. It's going to take, like, all day. Yeah, yeah. it's going to take, like, all it's, day to build it. It's going to be an effort, you know? Yeah. Well, the, the good thing is I'll be able to install the camera, and I'll also be able to clean the roof because I was on my roof and I looked at its roof, and I'm like, it's, like, disgusting. So mm. I get the power wash it. And while I'm up there, I'm going to reseal the roof, too. So it'll be good for probably a decade. Be good to go. Fun. But, well, man, we've been talking about the box truck for like 37 minutes. This is going to be the box truck episode. Yep. Um, the RV portion now. So this is the interest. This is the whole reason to actually buy the box truck is to build it into an RV that can tow. 
So I've done like the tow part. The funny thing is I'm not going to be towing anything anytime soon. But I did that part first. Reasons. Just get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. Because that's like all like the greasy, grungy work. And do that on the while it's super clean so you don't have to worry about it. And I know I've mentioned this basically every time we talk about the box truck, but I think it's worth mentioning every time we talk about it. This was a new car. This was, brand this new. is not like it's it's effectively brand new. And so effectively brand new, yeah. Yeah, so so everything Parker's doing here is on top better. of a new car. <laughs> yes. It's better. There's not like restoration efforts here. No, 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 no. It is making it better though. Yeah, you know, yeah absolutely. Longer. Well, it's better's not the right word. Purpose built, I think, is yes, is you're right, correct. Because correct. you have a plan for this. Yeah. Whereas your other cars are like a little bit more general purpose. A little bit, I guess. Um. So, RV. Okay. So right now it's titled as a commercial vehicle because it's a commercial vehicle. It's a box truck that's built on, built on a Chevy Express 4500 platform. They also use Chevy Express 4500s to build motorhomes that also have a big box on it. It's a big box, with, except it has windows in it. <laughs> that's like <laughs> the only difference. Um, actually, there is a... Each state is different because you can retitle things when you do conversions. And I'm going to be doing an RV conversion on this box truck. And so you, I started reading all the fun stuff in the Texas DMV Occupations Code, specifically section 2301.002, parenthesis 21, closing parenthesis. Of course, that one that everyone knows about. Yeah, everyone knows about. Uh, but this actually defines what a motorhome means for the DMV here in Texas. So a motorhome needs to meet these requirements. Um, and if it doesn't, then it's not considered a motorhome and you have to classify it as something else under on the title. So you, your conversion needs to hit these bullet points to do the conversion. Um, so a motorhome means a motor vehicle that is designed to provide temporary living quarters and that, A, is built on a motor vehicle chassis and is an integral part or permanently attached to the chassis. Well, I think my box is like bolted and glued to the truck, so it's never going to come apart. Yeah, check, check, on check. That That's one. done. That's done. Um, then B contains at least four of the following independent life support systems that are permanently installed and designed to be removed only for repair or replacement, and that meet the standards of the American National Institutes. Uh, standards for recreational vehicles. So, like, there's this whole, like, other standard that you have to go reference to make sure that what you're building classifies as what you're building. Kind of weird, but that's how it is. Um, so, one of these... Of, so, you only have to hit four of these, and they give you, I think it's six. So, you have to have four out of six of these things. Um, one of them is a cooking facility with an onboard fuel source. Um... So you have to have a stove that has its own fuel source that's on board. So I have a stove that you can just put down and good to go, right? Or you can do electric, I guess. But stove, good. Yeah, no problem. Okay. A gas or electric refrigerator. I'd never heard of a gasoline-powered refrigerator, but they exist, apparently. Um, I'm going to put a electric DC-powered electric refrigerator on it like a RV would have. Good. We're... Check mark there. 
A toilet with exterior evacuation. You know, we haven't talked about toilets in a long time on this podcast. <laughs> is it is it time to... It's going to be soon to, to talk about toilets again. <laughs> yes, it'll be soon to talk about toilets again. Unfortunately, the toilet that I'm going to pick does not have exterior evacuation. Oh, don't tell me you're just putting a five-gallon bucket in the back. Close. <laughs> I'm going with what's called a compost toilet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen those before. Yeah, which is a self-contained unit that um, we'll talk more about later once I get one. But it doesn't have exterior evacuation. It, it's self-contained yeah. in its own unit, so it doesn't actually classify as this. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, and then a heating or air conditioning system with onboard power and fuel source separate from the vehicle engine. So that's a big one, meaning that you have to have an AC or heater system that has its own power source that is not tied to the vehicle's engine. Okay. I'm going to have that. It's Texas. You need air conditioning. Yeah, it's 100% necessary. Yeah. Yes. Hi. Right. Um, and then a, so I, I checked that off. So I've got three out of four so far. And then a potable water source system that includes a sink, uh, a faucet, and a water tank with exterior service supply connection, which I will have. I'm going to put that in because I, I actually built the shower stall already. I had to build the stuff around the shower stall, but I got the shower stall built so that um, I bought like a kit thing that you like slop together. It's pretty cool. It took like 30 minutes to like with your hands and just kind of like slap the panels together. Hmm. Um, Came from Home Depot. It's pretty cool. Okay, that's cool. Um, but yeah, so it's gonna have a shower, and you need onboard water source, all that good stuff, and then a one ten to one twenty five volt electric power supply, which I thought was really weird to have that included. Wait, in there. can you just slap an inverter in there and that counts? Yes, and an inverter counts. Oh, that's the is easiest that silly? one. <laughs> that's like. But, but the thing yeah. is, my truck already has an inverter built in. Oh, well, then you're done. I'm going to add more because it's only like 100 watts, if that, I think. Oh, um, okay. So I need way more than that for the box truck part. But it already has the inverter part. Um, so I have five out of these six things, so I'm good to go. Um, it's very interesting. When you say RV... What do you... What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you say, I'm going to do... What are you going to do with an RV? What's the purpose of an RV? Well, okay. So usually whenever I see that, it's it's one of two things. It's either like Instagram influencer that, you know, takes a bunch <laughs> of pictures and shows their house off going around the nation. Or it's a retired, retired couple that sold their house and they just drive around all day, every day seeing sites. Yeah. But you have the RV, so you don't have to pay hotel fees so you mm -hmm. can just sleep in it mm -hmm. nothing in the texas dmv occupations code is about sleeping in an rv <laughs> they That's want true. to make sure yeah. you can you can you can go to the bathroom in comfort is what it says and uh, yeah you're you're um, you can eat and charge your cell phone <laughs> I I I I I'm I uh, I'm guessing they they have that because they're just assuming you got sleeping taken care of, right? I know, but it's so weird. It's like it should be like and sleeping quarters. I don't know. 
I don't know. Cause I guess you could be like, oh, the chair reclines, thus it's you sleep there. Yeah, Maybe. because people sleep in their cars. I mean, uh, and, and that doesn't count as an RV. They did uh, I, so. That could be it. Yeah. It could be because you can just sleep in a normal car, so they decided not to make that a distinction. Right. I do think it's funny though. Like the first thing I like, the main reason I want an RV is so I can sleep in it. <laughs> Like when I go camping and stuff. I wonder which of these would you think is the most strenuous or the most difficult to actually achieve? It depends on your implementation of all of them. I, I, I me, would guess the heating and air conditioning with a separate fuel source would be the most difficult. Well, so it doesn't have to have the fuel source on board. So you could have a... Uh, you can have like a rooftop or like you can buy a rooftop AC unit that just gets run off what's called shore power, which is, you know, you just go to an RV park and plug in. That right. counts. So that's or you, could, you could have a generator hanging off the back, right? And that yes. has a separate fuel source. Exactly. For me, the hardest part is a toilet with exterior evacuation. It's the exterior evacuation part, basically putting another... But it's called a black tank, which is like the that's the poop tank. Um, <laughs> yeah. Putting that another tank is more difficult than all these other things for me. So I'm I like, that's so, why yeah. I'm going with a, what's called a compost toil toilet. So I don't have to worry about plumbing for the pooper. Right. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, have I you considered going that route and just making it like a permanent toilet that you don't have to take out and dump i i considered it for all of like three seconds and decided not to do it because i just don't it's, want to do it probably a lot of effort right and you the, the thing is someone has to empty that tank yeah and that person's me and i don't <laughs> want to empty that tank you but you're having to empty the compost no but the compost i've actually emptied up one of those before doesn't really smell it smells earthy <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, given enough time, it does, right? Like it has to break down. Yeah, but it, it actually doesn't. It doesn't take long to break down. Yeah. Like I've honestly, the worst part of emptying out a compost toilet is actually the urine collection part of it. Because mm -hmm. because that's the whole thing with a compost toilet is you have to separate the the solids and the liquid, mm -hmm. and because uh, the liquid will prevent the composting from composting, so. Um, also, it makes it like super soggy, so you don't want that to happen. <laughs> but that, that honestly smells worse <laughs> than the compost part. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Do, do you have that little? I don't. I don't remember what it's called. It's a white powder that you can spread on it that uh, removes the odor. I mean, they make a lot of sprays that do. I think some people just use like diluted vinegar, really. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. The ones that they have now have their own vent systems that are powered, so you don't smell anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually, like, looking for... Like, I, I, I thought about putting a proper, like, chemical RV toilet for a while for all of three seconds, and I'm like, no, I'm not dealing with that. That's another big tank I have to put in. I have to empty that tank and transport that it's a sewer. I have to transport the sewer somewhere. Mm -hmm. I'm like, nope, I'm just going to do a compost toilet and not have to worry about it. 
Yeah, nice. And then you could bring it home, put it in your garden, and grow. No, plants. you can't. That's that's human <laughs> waste. You can't do that. No, I'm joking. Because <laughs> I'm not going to be that kind of person that just opens up the black tank on the freeway. Oh, do people do that? Oh yeah. Oh, that's messed it's not up. supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that at all. But I there's don't definitely you, stories online. There, you can't. Um, I thought you had to be next to the tank. There's like a valve there that you have to operate. Not uh, do they have some that operate electrically? I mean, or anyone can build remotely? anything. I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's <laughs> disgusting. I did not. You're know Very that. disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, so we're running up on 50 minutes now. Yeah, or do you have any other comments on this box truck so far? I, I don't. At, uh, but why don't we why don't we push uh, CNC stuff till next week? Because we're already at 51 minutes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But yeah. I am going to bring up my new camera because that do will it. probably round out this podcast. But yeah. we're also. I am making an executive decision and we're changing one of the rules of the podcast. Oh, what, the 50% rule? Yes, the 50% rule. I was actually talking to some people that were fans of the podcast at our um, uh, May the Fab Be With You event that was two weeks ago. And everyone was like, we love hearing the random projects um, that y'all just randomly come up with. Even if you all don't do anything about it. So we're we're just going to start... If we just come up with random ideas, we're just going to talk about them now. Love but this project's actually going to be done. Actually, I think it actually already clears the 50% rule, too. But um, just in case, we're throwing it out there. Um, so, Parker of the past, when I was a wee child, um, I was in the Scouts. And this was like probably when I was like 13, 14 years old, maybe even younger than that. Um at one of our scout camps, I took uh, photography as one of my merit badges, and we um, mostly it was covering film because at the time film cameras were pretty much the really the only thing that existed for taking cam- pictures. But digital cameras were starting to become a thing, and the person that was teaching the class actually had a digital camera, so we got to like shoot digital photos. And it was a Sony MVC FD5, which that means probably nothing to like everyone out there. But what that is, is a Sony camera that is, uh, was their first camera that used a floppy drive as the storage media. I'm assuming that the FD in the the number is floppy drive. Yes. MVC also stands for something else, but I don't remember what it stands for. Like Marv- uh, Mavica. It's right there, actually. Mavica. Okay. MVC is short for Mavica. It's something actually like Magenta. What's VI? Violet. Indigo? Violet. Something like that. It stands for like the colors of the sensor, too. Okay. It's like Mavica is like the colors of the sensor abbreviated, and then MVC is the abbreviation of that abbreviation. <laughs> um. Anyways, this was the first camera of this entire line for like ten years they've made, um, and each one, one of the core things was it used a floppy drive. Now, eventually, they added like 
uh, other media, storage media, and I think at one point it used like Sony's proprietary flash sticks, but you could still use a floppy drive with it. And then once the floppy drive kind of expired um, in its life cycle, they went to like mini disks. Mm. So you could take pictures on mini disks, which is kind of a cool concept. But anyways, I don't remember how I thought about this camera, but for some reason I was like, I just was like, got the urge. I'm like, I need to like buy one. And fortunately, fortunately, these cameras, the quality of the image sucks bad. Like it's awful. So that means it's also these cameras are really, really inexpensive. And they also made tons of them. Like this was like a top selling camera for years when it came out. It's like millions out there. So I was able to find one actually here in Houston on eBay for like, like $18. <laughs> and it came with a battery. Now nice. the battery was dead when I got it. And I did, did it order, come with a floppy though. It did not come with floppy, but I have stacks of floppy disks. So I was fine there. Um, and the great thing is it uses a battery that Sony still uses. Hmm. Okay. This, this like camera battery that Sony still uses. So I actually well, was able to buy. I was it's actually like a custom molded battery. I'm surprised at that, that that's still in production. Sony still uses this battery shape. Wow. It's the um, NP-F series of batteries. And like a lot of their stuff uses it. Um, so I was able to buy a charger and some spare batteries. And I actually was able to get this battery functional again using the little, you know, the back feeding trick. So I was able to put it on the, the lab power supply and feed it a, basically current limited to like uh, 100 milliamp uh, amps and just like let it slowly creep up until it hit the like six and a half volts. And then I put it on the charger and the charger's like, good to go. Charge it up. Nice. So I was, and actually it still holds a charge really well. So these Sony batteries I mean, that's like a 30 plus year old battery at this point. Um, no, not 30 year olds. Not 30. This is like yeah. a 99 camera. How old okay. is that now? Over 20. Yeah, over 20 years old. 24. 24 years old. Um, that battery can drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're getting um, old, Parker. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, yes. Um, it actually works fine. Takes pictures just fine. Flash works great. Um, I actually kind of really like, I really wish it had like a viewfinder, like where you can put your eye up to it and look like a rangefinder style, but it only has like the big old screen on the, well, big. It has yeah, because there's on a the back. floppy in the way. Yeah, there's <laughs> floppy in the way. Yeah, now I think about it, it'd be really hard to fit optics in this thing. Yeah. But I would do it because I, I actually, uh, my other camera, I'd like taking with like the viewfinder. Um, versus like holding it out at arm's length and, and doing this motion with the camera. So um, so is the floppy the only way to get images off of it or does it have a USB? Yes. Oh, Correct. it's just the floppy. Just the floppy. And do you still have a floppy drive somewhere? Yes. This is where the project comes into play. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So um, I have a USB... Uh, the floppy or floppy to USB like adapter thing. That's actually right here. So you plug that 
you know, the USB into your computer, pop in a drive, good to go. Works most of the time on Windows 10. It actually worked great in Windows 7. Apparently, like, with Windows 10, they got rid of, like, a lot of MS-DOS stuff, which happened to be some of the stuff that made floppy drives work. But, you know, who uses floppy drives anymore? Um, so, unfortunately, it doesn't really work too well, and you can only get a couple images off before, like, the driver decides to crash. Could be because of flo crappy USB floppy thing, but or adapter, but whatever. So here's the project, okay, is not, this is something I've always wanted to make too, but I never had a reason to make it. So now this is the reason. The reason is I want to have something portable so I can use this camera in a portable state and then like pull images off. Like let's say if I go camping, take images with this guy and then uh, I need to get the images off because you can only put like 20 images on a floppy disk. Um, it's by the way, it's like point like nine megapixels, I think, or is it point two? I was about to say that even seems high for that. I think it's I point it's two. Lower. Yeah, I think it's point two megapixels. Not a lot of pixels. Uh, I'll <laughs> share some images that I've taken of it so far. Um, it it's I love taking photos with this because it immediately transports me back to like two thousand and one. <laughs> Like you look at those images and you're like, hey, I've seen a forum post with images like that before. <laughs> uh, what would be really interesting is if I still have my old Nokia phone kicking around that had a camera on it. And take some pictures with that and see what those that resolution do, looks do like. Do a comparison. Yeah. I bet you that's actually better than this camera. It might be. Yeah. Mainly because it doesn't have the limitation of storing stuff on a floppy drive. Um, so yeah, you, you, you take a picture and it goes <laughs> as it's seeking the floppy disk and writing to it. It's nice. great. Um, where was I going? With oh yes. The project. Um, so I want to make a, a fake vintage luggable computer that will have a floppy drive in it. And also I want to like, um, this also kind of combines with the CAN bus idea too. I'd like to build something that has built-in CAN bus sniffer and stuff. So like you have like your hacker laptop and it also has to look the parts. So it has to look like late 80s, like early 90s laptop-y. So like super chunky edges and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, totally aesthetics too. Um, and I'm just gonna put like 18650 lithium cells in it. Um, so I went down the rabbit hole of like, okay, sure, I can find like an old computer and put it in there and like run an Linux and stuff on it. But I'm like, man, I, I'd i really want to just like slap a Raspberry Pi 4 in it and just be done with just it. But Raspberry it. Pi 4 doesn't have a floppy drive controller <laughs> for obvious reasons. I was just looking it up. You can, you can force it. So there's some adapters that you can like, it, it doesn't work at, uh, like you think. It, it, there's some, like, you still have to have a microcontroller, like, in between. And then that's, like, your floppy drive controller. Um, I ended up buying what's called a Greasy Weasel. <laughs> Enlighten us. What is a Greasy Weasel? <laughs> it is a open source floppy drive controller to USB that allows you to basically dump any magna flux images off floppy disks. 
Oh, wow. That's specific. Yes. So it's a USB to any kind of floppy disk kind of as long as you have a drive that works fun correctly, you can it's uh, you can read off the, the magna fluxes off the off the disks. <laughs> so that's what the, I think I'm pretty sure that's what they're called. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and more recently, someone came out with a way because usually you would have to like dump the, the magna flux image. Okay, you have to dump the whole image of the disc. And the great thing is it shows you like the disc and like all the sectors. It's really, really cool. It's like That's super legit. visualization, like super hackery. But someone I'm actually in. came out with a way so you can live with that tool, do a live uh, um, uh, explorer file system setup. So that's all great. I, oh, I wish I knew the name off the top of my head, what, what that software is called. But um, but basically, you can now attach a floppy drive directly to a Raspberry Pi with this USB interface, and it works like a floppy drive. And it actually does work well, supposedly. Mm. I'm going to try it out first. Um, and so like, I already have, because this is a project I've been thinking about building for like this luggable PC for a long, long time. So I already have like a screen that will work for it. I already have like speakers and stuff that will work for it. I already have a keyboard picked out. I'm trying to figure out like what I'm going to do for like a mouse. Cause I kind of don't want a trackpad cause trackpads weren't really a thing. Um, you had, um, you, some of them had like, like actual like trackballs on like the laptop itself, but Trying to find something like that to make it work seems kind of hard. I think what I'm going to do is use like a joystick thumbstick and then use one of my, I have some um, Arduino Leonardo dev boards that I made um, long time ago. And I can make that a mouse device over USB and just read the thumbstick and make it move the mouse around. Oh come on! You don't you don't want to do it over a PS2 connector, not uh, like the old green barrel connector. <laughs> yeah, uh, and purple too. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, classic. Well, purple was keyboard and green was mouse, right? I think so. I think that's how it was done. I think that's correct. It's an old. It's been a long time. Uh, it's an old six. I think six pin D sub style. Not D sub. Um, what do you call that? The the the, the, the circular one. Din. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic. Yeah. So, um, once the, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the greasy weasel <laughs> arrives. <laughs> um, let me make sure that's actually what it's called. I think it's greasy is like the first thing that's in that. Grease weasel, not any better. There's no Y in it, but still, it ends up being the same. Same thing. Um, the grease weasel. Um, oh, and that's one word, grease weasel. Yeah. And so I, I bought version four of it. Um, when that arrives, I'm going to I'm going to set up Raspberry Pi four. I'm going to set up uh my screen keyboard like set like the like the system architecture all spread all over my desk you know the the 
wires of doom that is all Raspberry Pi projects. Mm-hmm. Make sure it all functions and like this works how I want it to work. I can read all the images and like good stuff. If that all functions well, then I'll design the enclosure. And I'm probably going to do like a combo send, cut, send, 3D printed, and then like some TIG welding to make like the chassis. Oh, man, I feel like you should 3D print the whole thing. Well, I want like metal in it. So maybe I do like the lids metal and then like the 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 body sides chassis is like all 3D printed. It was just kind of what I was thinking. If you can get that cream white color, that would be perfect. Well, I was going to print it polycarbonate, but I could just paint it. Yeah. Will the paint hold up, though? But I think you're right. I think it has to be like that creamish color. Or, and then, or or like you could artificially age it and do like the bromide yellow kind of No, color. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I wonder if... Because my risen printer is not big enough. Actually, I don't want to think my 3D printer is big enough to do it in one shot. Like one, like the ring that would be like the inner part of the frame. I still have to think about how I'm going to construct it. I do want like that vintage chunky look to it. Mm-hmm. I did think about like hacking a or buying like an old vintage laptop and then like gutting it and stuff, but I couldn't really find anything that fit the screen that I've got because I actually have a it's an iPad two or three panel mm-hmm. with a board adapter board that makes it Display Port and it's it's 4K too. It, that screen is gorgeous. So I'd love to use that screen for this project, and I couldn't find anything that fit that size. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to build my own thing, I guess. You know, two things. Well, okay, yeah, two things. I think what one thing that would make it really, really nice is to have a nice, chunky power switch on the front. You know, like just a, on a the circular front, like or a, a square. Yeah, like a chunky click-in power switch. Not a toggle yeah. switch, like a press button switch, but one that has like a half an inch worth of throw, you know, you like know, a yeah, classic uh, like the that. old um, AT power uh, AT computers, mm-hmm. uh, AT based. Um, that's like the platform. Like you know how we have ATX, yeah, PSUs and ATX motherboards. AT was like the thing that was before that, and then they added an X to it to make it extreme, but. Yeah. Um, I think it just means extra, actually. Yeah, it's not extreme. <laughs> not extreme. <laughs> Would be cool if it was extreme, though. Anyways, uh, AT. Oh, remember BTX? Not really. That was like Dell's thing. Man, when was BTX? Was it like their own form factor of everything? Yeah, they came up with their own form factor. Oh, that probably went. God, this brings away. This is like 2004, 2005, maybe? 2004, 2005, yeah. Balance technology extended. Oh, is that what the X stands for? I, extended, It should have yes. been extreme. <laughs> yeah, basically, it honestly was a really good idea. Um, and we actually see this nowadays uh, with new PC chassis uh, enclosures. But basically, they had the idea of, like, what if we put the motherboard... Um, Actually, that's interesting. This case does not show it in the 
form factor that it was in. The idea was kind of like to redo the thermal profiling of how an enclosure was set up. Hmm. And it didn't, it did not take off. Um, and then basically people found out how to make ATX just better. Man, that brings me way back. <laughs> um, but AT actually had, so like ATX had like a soft power button that went to the motherboard mm-hmm. and then the motherboard turned on the power supply for everything. Whereas AT, it has a big like on off switch that you're thinking. That's a big press in, press out. So if I just actually just, I actually have a 386 p- computer case lying around. I can just take that button off and just use that button. Yeah, do I it. I think you're right, though. It needs like a big... And and if if it has speakers on it, I this would just be like, I would love this, but you remember old CRT monitors, especially like when you started getting into the bigger, like 18-inch or even 20-inch oh. CRT monitors. When you turned them on, you would hear the static as, you know, because those the, the CRTs were usually in the 2,000 to 3,000 volt range. Like just that of the of the flyback firing up and the static on the screen. Yeah, if you emulated that, now that would be cool. I wonder if, because I, I haven't done a lot of like Linux hacking, I guess, or looking into how it the boot sounds and stuff for Linux works. I don't know if you can do that early on. Like, can you have a? Or honestly, it's actually more on the Raspberry Pi. Can you have a Raspberry Pi, it's equivalent to a BIOS boot sound? I know Mm. newer PCs can have sound in BIOS. Right. It's like the, what, EFI? UEFI? I think something like that. Anyways, you can have sound in BIOS. I wonder if the Raspberry Pi, like, on boot, or you just have it, like, Somehow figure out how to make it play. Like you have a microcontroller that just like. Yeah, I was about to say you just have a parallel board that just plays on power on. Yeah, seems really silly, but I like that idea a lot. Yeah, you just hear the static of it turning on, and and you put a buzzer on it so it just beep. (laughs) That's a good idea too. Yeah, it doesn't need a buzzer. It doesn't need a buzzer controlled by the Raspberry Pi. Yes. Yeah, it yeah, has actual, to have a little buzzer. Yeah, a little uh, a little piezo buzzer. PC buzzer. Yeah. Also, I'm looking at the differences between ATX and BTX, and in a, a lot of it, I could see that you know people are demonstrating it's uh, like thermal flow, like how air flows across the board. But but one of the main things is just where the processor is placed in relation to your memory slots and your peripherals. ATX puts peripherals on one side of the processor and memory on the other side but mm-hmm. btx kind of puts the processor in a caddy corner to both memory and the peripherals so i don't I know i guess yeah i guess i guess the whole the the main thing was just more about thermal flow how does air get across the board and you gotta remember this is back in the pentium 4 days where this is where an amd like actually started getting a foothold because the Pentium four was such a power and thermal hog. Like it just dumped power and AMD's like, 
we're we're efficient now. Well, now because back in the day they were not efficient, but comparatively they were way more efficient. Like the the socket A, like the uh, AMD um, uh, Barthen control. Uh, see, is it Barthen or Baron? I think it's Baron. Athlon XPs. What was what was that? What was the architecture, Baron? Jeez, I'm trying. I'm scraping my brain right now. Yeah, I have no idea. This is not my area of expertise. This is what. This is actually. This is how I got into, like, just interested in electronics in general. Was building my own PCs. Mm. Barton. It's Barton. Okay. Yeah. Athlon XP twenty eight hundred CPU Barton. How much does one of these cost nowadays? Fifty bucks. I think that's how much it costs brand new. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you could you could unlock the multipliers by using a grease pin on the on because they would they would laser cut the traces on on top of the the substrate for the die uh, to like bend them. Uh, and speeds. And so what you would do is you would you would get the cheap one and you would go in and grease pin the faster one and hopefully you get lucky and it was just binned to be binned. It wasn't binned because it didn't perform up to snuff. Or it might have been binned on the edge. Yes. Ah, that, that brings you way back. Classic. Yeah. Okay, so next week we'll talk about the CNC machine. We'll bring that type. That'll be topic one on the list. All right. Yeah, we've already pushed it for two weeks. Okay, I guess I'll, I'll wrap it up then. That was the MacFab Engineering Podcast with your host, Parker Dolman. <laughs> and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steve and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack.